Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Friday. That means we're back in your life with another mm. MMA weekend preview, episode 126. Dominic Salee, we're here at the end of the week. How are you feeling? I know you were doing some Gruntman's work today with old Big Dave, so yes. I'm just curious how that went. Yeah, you know, a little landscaping here and there. But again, we ran out of supplies, so here we are recording now <laughs> sooner than expected, but that's better. Um, but yeah, man, it's weird, this uh, this pay-per-view coming up, UFC 265 this weekend. The the interim heavyweight title fight and the controversy around it and all this and that, losing Amanda Nunes. But as I'm looking here at the paper or the Google Doc, and we're about to go through these fights, I'm still pretty damn excited. It's still a fun card, so I'm excited to go over these fights and a butt-ton of news. It's going to be a fantastic start to the weekend, Noah. I agree. You know what? We're two guys. It's going to be hard-pressed to find a card that doesn't, in some shape or form, excite us, especially pay-per-views. Usually there's at least something there. I mean, we've seen some pretty bad pay-per-views, but going in, yeah, we've at least been like, okay, this is exciting. This is exciting. I mean, the UFC does a pretty good job at this point of selling us on these cards as if they really need to for guys like us. Right. But this one in particular, yeah, sure. Um, the interim heavyweight title fight, you know, I don't like how we got to this point, but I like the fight. Yeah. So we're here. It's a reality. There's no change in it. So I'm going to get excited for the fight itself. Am I going to necessarily look at the winner as a champion? I wouldn't have done that no matter what the interim title was. I'm just not an interim title guy. Right. Unless it's like, a, again, I'm talking Anderson Silva in like 2012, yeah. tears his ACL out for a year, and you got like two guys like Vitor Belfort at that time and maybe someone else like Chael Sonnen who's yeah. like really deserving. Sure, interim title, and then when Anderson comes back, you put them up against each other. Here, though, this is obviously an egregious example, but whatever. Also, you know, we lost our other title fight, really the one like the one legit title fight yeah. for Amanda Nunez's Bantamweight title. But really, this card, even if the title, you know, it doesn't have quite the um, – I wouldn't say it's stacked. You know, it's not top to bottom every fight going to be like, you know, have a name in it that we're really excited to see, at least in my opinion. But – there are a lot of really fun fights on here, fights that, while maybe don't have the biggest implications in the divisions they're in, there are some big takeaways for a lot of these, and we'll get into all that. But before we do, Dominic, we got to get to the fight announcements. Ooh, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> Okamoto bombs have been dropping left and right on us the last couple days, and it starts on October 23rd mm. as we got a big headliner in store as – Number two ranked middleweight Paulo Costa. About a year from the day that he yeah. pretty embarrassingly lost his title fight with Israel Adesanya. He will be back, hopefully, to fight the number four ranked Marvin Vittori, who also, in some ways, I didn't think he got embarrassed in his last fight with Adesanya, but in some ways maybe he did a little bit. It was a very heated fight, you know. Yeah. But um, this matchup, this is the two big guys. I said this, these are the two biggest guys in this division in terms of pure mass. Yeah, and These guys walk around at heavyweight weight, and they're cutting down to 185. So it's um, something to behold. But stylistically, this fight should be really fun. Paulo Costa going to bring that pressure. Look, even though as big as he is, he's not really a power puncher. 
Um, he's definitely a guy that puts the output on you, yeah. which is kind of just what makes him so dangerous. But Marvin Vittori, again, one of those guys that's kind of good everywhere but not necessarily great at any one facet. But he did, he probably will have a grappling advantage here, so mm-hmm. that could be interesting. What are your thoughts on this one headlining October 23rd? I mean, truthfully, it's the perfect matchmaking for that top of the division for the guys that aren't booked. Uh, obviously, Marvin coming off the title loss, so will Costa after his long layoff. So uh, it is a great fight. I, is it the headliner of that fight night as yeah, of now? I would say so. I would say so. Um, so that's a really good fight stylistically. Again, like Noah said, Paulo comes forward and brings the pressure, uh, sets the tone <laughs> from the beginning outside of his title fight with Adesanya. And for Vittori, uh, angry Marvin, you know, the Italian stallion, he's going to march forward as well, try to utilize that grappling, make Paulo uncomfortable. I'll be curious to see for this fight specifically if it goes into the later rounds uh, how Paula will fare because we've seen Vittori go deep and still be in the fight and win some of those five rounders as well. True, and as in his in his title fight without Asanya though, I don't think Vittori nearly he he looked a bit. Um, I don't know if he was tired or more so he just looked very defeated. Defeated, yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting to see depending on where the fight goes, what direction it's pointing at, who's winning, um, if we'll get something similar. Hopefully the fight just doesn't go that far and we don't have to. And hopefully this one actually happens too with the right people. Yeah, it's a tough matchup for Kelvin Gastelum, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Following that on the same day, October 23rd. Oh, yeah. Bellator 269 gets its headliner. We talked about it previously. Fedor Emelianenko, the 44-year-old legend. Perhaps the GOAT of all-around MMA for some people. He's going to be back for one last fight, it appears, in Russia. And they finally got his opponent. Mm-hmm. And it's a guy we've talked about not too long ago, Timothy Johnson. Yeah. The guy who just missed out on his kind of chance for Bellator Goldie. He was in an interim title fight, yep. a fight that he lost to Moldovsky. So, Dominic, in my opinion, I'm a little surprised by the matchup here. Yes. Not because... Tim Johnson has done a good job in Bellator of making himself a player. Mm-hmm. In the UFC, he was very much just another guy. Yeah. Didn't really didn't offer much. Was very 500 fighter, win one, lose one. No moving forward or moving back in that guy's career in the UFC. But at Bellator, he had a nice run. He had people sort of beginning to believe that maybe he could have that sort of Jan Blahovich late resurgence yeah. in his career. However, wasn't meant to be for the title, but I'm surprised because while we all love Fedor and I don't want to talk negatively about him, in times over his career, especially when you get into his home country, um, he's had some very favorable matchmaking, you know, especially coming off of losses or in this case, this would be a retirement fight. You don't necessarily want to go out on a loss, but Timothy Johnson is an active heavyweight. He's a guy that was just in the title contention um not yep. and not an easy fight for fedor at all um fedor will likely be a favorite coming in i would say but not an easy fight i think it's in that way it makes it better i'm actually more excited for it because of that and um yeah this should be a good headliner for bellator 269 in moscow yeah it's a good stylistic fight one that should deliver some excitement because both guys obviously um, like to press forward are aggressive in their stand-up, but are relatively well-rounded. Got my words twisted there. Obviously for Fedor especially, it's in Russia. 
which is a huge deal for Bellator to be heading over there, headlining a show with their guy in Fedor. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Timothy's coming off of the interim title fight loss. So can he bounce back here, pick up a huge win, arguably – well, not even arguably. It would be the biggest of his career and keep himself right up there in title contention. Uh, that's a fun one for sure. Definitely unexpected, like you said at the beginning, but I digress. A week later, UFC 267. Oh, man. <laughs> October 30th. This card's really filling out. Yeah. And this is a type, this is a fight with big implications in the lightweight division. Number five ranked Islam Makachev does get booked, rebooked, I guess, with the previous foe. Number seven ranked Rafael dos Anjos. Dominic, this this fight is the fight that I wanted to see most for Islam Makachev moving forward and for RDA. At this point, Islam has the, the roles have reversed. Yeah. You know, when they were booked previously, Islam was what, 12th, 11th? And yep. RDA was probably sixth, fifth, somewhere in there. So now the rules have reversed. RDA sort of needs this matchup with Islam at this point to try to get himself into title contention. And for Islam, I think he needs, despite his ranking, his resume doesn't necessarily speak to how highly he is ranked. This mm, yes, I agree. Can, it's a different argument to say his talent does because I think talent-wise, there's no doubt this guy's a top, top five. five lightweight. However – it all comes down to resume at times, and his resume doesn't really say that. So this is a fight he needs to really legitimize himself in this top of the heap. And with the win here for Islam, are we potentially looking at a title shot for the guy? You know, that's what I was curious. Uh, I do love the fight. Obviously, this was like kind of the number one option uh, in my head that made a lot of sense. And we know how much a win over RDA means, whether you're at 170, 150, don't matter the weight class. It's a guy that's a former champion. He's as well-rounded as they come. will grind you out for five rounds as he, if he has to. So it's a very good stylistic clash because they're both good in areas, obviously with uh, glaring strengths as well and where they differ from one another. In terms of the title fight, you know, I feel like Islam is kind of in a position where he's one win away from a title. Uh, and obviously, RDA is ranked number seven, but the rankings only mean so much. I mean, Islam just beat the number 14 guy and then bounced over everyone to get the number five anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he beats RDA, especially convincingly, if his next fight's for a title. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd be in support of that. because right. It's so top Honestly, heavy. if I'm being honest, I don't think it would happen. Because let's look at the timeline here. This fight's going to happen in October. Um, by the end of the year, we're hoping Poirier yeah. and Oliveira will have their title fight. Um, depending on the winner there, I would assume the next challenger is going to be the winner of Chandler Gaethje, no matter who the winner is in that matchup. So I think Islam might end up having to do one more. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the loser of Chandler Gaethje or the loser of Poirier Oliveira. I if Oliveira lost the title, I would love to see Oliveira. Oh, man. Makachev. Yeah. Um, but that's all that Makachev's got to win this fight first. And RDA right. is no pushover. The guy is a former champion. Um, sure, he's bounced around a little bit, did try to go up to welterweight at one point, but now back in really his rightful division. And mm-hmm. he looks just as good if Maybe not as good, but he does look just as efficient as he did yeah. when he was fighting for gold at one point. That's a good word for the d- yeah. description there. <laughs> On the same night, 
probably a little lower on the card. You'll have a couple heavyweights, but big implications in this one too. Mm-hmm. Number five, Alexander Volkov, and number eight, Marcin Tybura. Dominic, this. who do you feel has more at stake in this fight? More at stake, excuse me. Because really consider where these two are. You know, Tybura is on a bit of a run, a bit surging right now, but it's a guy that's nobody really expects him to get any further than he's at now. Yeah. And he's kind of at least had some failed pushes before, or at least um, he's had that surge before where he's ultimately came up well short, had right. a losing streak, had to come back from that. While Volkov, we see him look amazing and then very underwhelming, and then amazing yeah. and underwhelming. So who do you think has more to lose, I guess, in this fight? You know, that's a really good question because for Volkov, former Bellator champion, he is, I think, seven and three in the heavyweight division in the UFC, seven and four. And he was essentially one fight away. I mean, this could be him this weekend fighting Derek Lewis, for all we know, mm-hmm. had he beaten Cyril Gaon. So, in a way, it's a bigger fight, more to lose for Volkov, because if he loses here, he's going to get shipped back in the rankings even further. And you know how hard it is to climb back through when you've already been at the top for such a long time, because he's been like a top seven, eight guy for essentially since he's been in the division. So how mm-hmm. long can he retain that, especially if he were to lose? For Tiberi, like you said, he's always had low expectations. So he's already surpassed them. He's been in the top 15 before, fell out. And now here he is again on four or five in a row, looks the best he's ever looked. And if he can come out and beat Volkov, man, to have him into the top five out of nowhere is something special. So, yeah, I'm going to go more on the line, more to lose Alexander Volkov in that one. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you. I think you kind of sold me on it right there with that uh, uh, description of kind of where they're at. Um, I do think in terms of matchup, though, I think this is a tough fight for Tibera. Yeah, um, the Volkov's size will be crazy. Size is going to be a big factor. Volkov's just a very precise and technical striker. And while at least Volkov doesn't necessarily carry the power to maybe one-punch KO Tibera, whose chin has been a little iffy in the past, mm-hmm. I just think that um, – he could get picked apart here. Yeah, uh, you'll have to definitely, I think, pull out a bag of tricks to For to sure. keep to keep the big man on his toes. You know. Oh yeah. Um, happening a week later, as we know, back to back numbered events. Oh. So that those two we talked about looks like it's going to be happening on ABC. I don't know if I mentioned that uh, previously or not, but um, UFC 268 on November 6th, we'll see the return of a former middleweight champion, that being Luke Rockhold. Dominic, I said on Monday's episode, I believe, that um, and we talked about this, that uh, Luke Rockhold has been talking about really in order to come back, he needed a big fight, yeah. a big name to really interest him. And the fight he's going to get is number eight ranked Sean Strickland, who just had the biggest win of his career about a week ago against Uriah Hall. Not the fight that I thought he would take. I even came out and said, like, Sean Strickland is not – a big enough name to entice Rockhold, but Rockhold did kind of clear the air on that. Yeah. He said the real reason he's taking this fight is because it's going to be in Madison Square yep, Garden. New York City. It's a big card. Um, so that makes sense. Now, as far as the fight itself, this worries me for Rockhold a little bit um, because, and I would hope he wouldn't do it at this point in his career. The guy's lost, what, three straight fights dating back to. Yeah. Um, 2017 or something like that. Something like that. Um, so three straight losses, let's say. All knockout. Yeah. 
yet each time, even with Blahovich, it seemed like he was really underestimating yeah. his opponents. And I would hope that in his position, he would recognize that he can't really do that anymore. But it wouldn't surprise me if he did, because I didn't think he should have done it to Blahovich in the first place. Yeah. And Sean Strickland, as I called him, a technical brawler, a guy that'll really come out here and look to stay on the feet and mm-hmm. trade with Luke Rockhold. I I, th- I really feel like Luke's skill set is much better than what Sean Strickland has shown us to bring to the table. But, you know, and maybe the, the, the worries about Rockhold's chin might be a little overstated, but it is a concern if yeah. this fight, if these guys trade on the feet long enough, is Strickland going to catch Rockhold with something fierce, something powerful, and put him away? It's a legit concern. But I really think that Rockhold has the skill set to take this the advantage on the, even on the feet or on the ground. I think he might be a better fighter everywhere it goes. It's just a matter of can he really hold up over the course of the fight. Yeah, the grounds where I'm really curious to see how this fight will play out because I was catching Bisbeing talking a lot about Sean Strickland's ground game in terms of like offensive wrestling isn't the greatest, but he said he's actually pretty well-versed on the ground in terms of jiu-jitsu and transitioning when he sparred with him. It's just something you don't see because the guy goes out there and brawls, like you mentioned. And should this fight stay on the feet, Luke is a good striker. I mean, he's got that incredible question mark kick that he throws that not a lot of people do. Um, but Strickland man is just going to keep pressing forward. We saw what he just did to Uriah Hall, one of the most dangerous strikers in the middleweight division. Sean Strickland didn't give a shit. He just mm-hmm. pressed forward for five straight rounds, landed a record number of strikes for the middleweight division. So uh, this is a good stylistic fight, good for Sean to get the biggest win of his career against Uriah Hall, then go right into his next biggest fight against a former champion. And for Luke Rockhold, it will be nice to see him return. Be curious to see how he fares in this one. I'm curious, Dominic. Do you feel like Strickland's a better striker? Because in my opinion, I think Rockhold's the better offensive striker. I just think it's his defense, his his ability to not – I mean, he's been knocked out so many times at this point that um, you have to wonder if it's just a lack of awareness on the defensive side of striking. But I do think offensively, I mean, Luke Rockhold's an exceptional talent, and I just think people are forgetting that. And no disrespect to Sean Strickland, he's very good. But based on what I've seen, I feel like Luke Rockhold should be better once they step into the octagon. It's just I don't know if he'll hold up. Right, yeah, I, do. I think at range, Rockhold is more dangerous, like I said, with that question mark kick he has, and he's long, lanky. Uh, but for Strickland, if he can press forward, get into that dirty boxing, and just go, go, go like he did against Uriah, that's where it could be most interesting on the feet. Yeah, no, well said. A week after that, we're just going week by week. Week by here. week, baby, I love it. November 13th, <laughs> a rebooking that we were kind of waiting to hear on. Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, two top three or I guess four if you include the champion, featherweights. Uh, this fight was originally supposed to happen literally a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And it was moved back. And, yeah, hopefully this fight ends up happening this time um, for Max because it looks like Volkanovski and Ortega are going to happen. We're finally going to get a winner mm-hmm. on that. Max, if he wins, and even if he, whoever wins this fight between Max and Yair should – neatly be placed next yeah. to the champion in the next title fight, I agree. in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we've talked about this fight numerous times now, being that it got booked, canceled, all that fun stuff. But this fight is, you know, MMA fans <laughs> love everything about this. Two of the best strikers in all of the UFC, 
going head-to-head in a main event slot. Who's going to earn their title shot? Max Holloway, the former champion, arguably the featherweight GOAT, going up against Yair, who the young Mexican star at one point has faltered, had odd things happen in his career in and out of the octagon, coming back here with a chance to earn the biggest win of his career. This fight has all the everything in terms of a storyline to just be absolutely amazing. It's so weird for Yair because you're right. That is a part of his story, the the faltering moments. But mm-hmm. in terms of when it's in the octagon, he's only faltered one time, and that was the Frankie mm-hmm. Edgar. Yeah. It's a lot of the weird stuff with the not taking a fight with Zabit, kind of got cut for like a couple days from the UFC. Yeah, USADA. USADA where his tracking, didn't update his tracking <laughs> app yeah. like, multi, like three times, like a three-strike rule. Weird stuff out of the cage. But in the cage, the guy's shown to be exceptional. Yeah. Do, I, do I give him a great chance against Max Holloway? No, but as I said on Wednesday, Max Holloway might, in my opinion, be the best fighter in the entire UFC, and the guy's not even the champion. Anymore. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just wild to think about. But um, an uphill battle for Rodriguez, but the guy is so electric, so flashy, and just pulls off a lot of stuff that you just don't normally see. That's why he got the hype in the first place. Yeah. That you never know. You just never yeah. do. Look oh, at what man. he did in that Korean zombie fight. Korean zombie had Last that fight second. won. Last second. Just a spinning elbow out cold. Yeah, th- this could be in talks for fight of the year at the Joey's in December, Noah. I'll just be honest. <laughs> yeah, like that. A week after that, November 20th. This one's a bit of a – out of all of these, this one's the one that's going to – the least people are probably going to be that yeah. interested in. But I think it's worth talking about women's flyweight, correct? Yes. I made this mistake previously. You're good. It's flyweight, yep. Women's flyweight, number six ranked Joanne Calderwood. Looking to try to put together a group of wins here, try to get a win streak together. But an up, a tough, I don't want to say uphill battle, again, a tough fight for her in the number 10 ranked Alexa Grasso, who mm. is looking really to be coming into yes. her own at this point, really reaching that potential that the UFC had seen from her for a while. And it's a fun fight, but for me it's going to be can when Joey Calderwood is – you know, I don't want to say at this point she's even really nearing a title shot, but in some ways she might be just because of the lack of real contenders at the mm-hmm. top. Um, but for her, once she hits very close to that point is where we see her weakest moments, the Jennifer Mile yeah. fight that she didn't really need to take, but she did stay active. And then you saw the way she lost that one um, here against Alexa Grasso, who's very much on the come up right now. It's, that's what's going to be going through my head. But for Alexa, a win here propels her into potentially top yeah. six, top five, and she might be knocking on the door for a title shot. How crazy is it that it, this fight could end up a six versus ten, could end up being a title eliminator for all we know? It's, that's a very good way to put it, man. This is a good fight because, as you said, it is going to get under the radar, which I get it. But still, stylistically, this has the makings to be a pretty fun three-round fight. I mean, both ladies are great strikers. You know, more so Calderwood with the Muay Thai striking. Grasso is such an amazing boxer. We saw that in our last fight against Macy Barber. Also from Mexico, just like Yair, who we just mentioned. So someone that they're trying to market. We've got the Brandon Moreno who's become a champion. So it's it's a big deal for her. She's in the right weight class that she – because she started at 115, if I'm not mistaken. Looks much better at 125. As you said, putting it all together right now as well in terms of her career, where she's at. 
Uh, it should be a fun one, man. And like you said, it could be a title eliminator, or at least you win this one and you're one away because that's just how it is right now. One women's one twenty five trying to find challengers for Valentina. Yeah, my one concern for Grasso as she moves forward is, in my opinion, I know that so far her results at flyweight are better than when she was at strawweight, but I think, I just think it's because she's developing mm-hmm. so so much. I do think she's a bit undersized in this division. I think she could be maybe even more effective as a strawweight, mm-hmm. um, but she's here for a reason. Maybe that cut's just not good for her. Yeah. Um, and her boxing should carry her pretty far. It's not um, – there's not too many that are going to be better than her at that in this division. Oh, yeah. Um, but jo- Joanne's a scrapper, man. That's That should be fun. Mm-hmm. December 11th. This one's so far out. Two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt. We talked about him not too long ago. He's currently the number six ranked Bantamweight, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> he's dropping 10 pounds yep. to make his debut at flyweight, and it's been confirmed it will be against the number seven ranked Kai Kara France. Dominic, despite his fireworks, in my opinion, yeah. uh, Kai is a guy that loves to stand and trade. Cody has definitely been <sighs> been turning into a bit of that in, in his last few fights. These guys just – they it just fight just feels like um, – how do I word this? They just – this feels like the right fight to make right now. It, yeah. it didn't feel like the fight that I thought the UFC was going to give. Because of Cody's Cody. name. Yeah, I thought Cody might end up getting just an immediate title shot or a fight with Davison or something mm-hmm. like that, which I really just didn't want to see. But Kai Car France, another guy who I think is deserving of this kind of high-profile fight, yeah. I love it. love it. Yeah, this has all the makings to be a fight of the night that night, and maybe even a fight of the year. I mean, these guys go at it. Um, I'm curious to see how Cody will look at 125. He's stated time and time again. He's pretty light uh, in the bantamweight side of things anyway. Shouldn't be a hard weight cut. He's been wrestling his whole life, so I'll be curious to see how that goes. Uh, And for Kai, man, he's never in a boring fight. So put these two together, it's going to be fireworks. Mm -hmm. That's going to wrap it up. For our fight announcements, we were pretty efficient on that one. We worked for having eight of them, I got to (laughs) say. And uh, we're going to transition into a little bit more news. Will goats collide? (laughs) (laughs) That's the question everybody wants to know. Oh, my. So, for those of you going, what does that mean? Yeah, no, a lot of them. So, Dana White um, was being interviewed. I believe it was the Nelk Nelk guys, the Nelk boys, whatever they're called. I believe it was their podcast that uh, he was on. And – um. He said, essentially, Stipe Miocic, the former two-time heavyweight champion and all-around heavyweight GOAT, was offered and has accepted mm. a fight with the light heavyweight GOAT and all-around potentially just the GOAT in general, John Bones Jones, a guy who just seems – you almost forget he's there sometimes because yeah. he's been gone for so long. Um, obviously, he's had his bouts with the UFC over uh, fighter pay. Um, everybody thought him and Ngannou was going to be the fight to make coming off Ngannou's win over Stipe. That has not been the case. John has doubled down and said, I will not fight until 2022. Obviously, he hasn't accepted this fight, but yeah. Stipe has. We're halfway there. Dominic, two questions. One, okay. In your opinion, if you had to guess, will John Jones accept this fight? And two, 
how does the fight go with uh oh gosh okay well i will say to add on to this john had just tweeted the day that this was like out there in the news champion 2022 so john you know how he is on twitter sometimes with the mystic messages and all that kind of stuff so does he mean okay i'm turning this down essentially and i'm going for the belt in 2022 or does he mean all right i'm gonna come in beat stipe and be champ in 2022 i pick your poison there it's one of two ways but uh, i just thought it's cryptic uh, of john to do that on the same day that this comes out will this fight happen my gut says no, unfortunately, as legendary and as huge as I think this fight would be. I just think John is so dead set on fighting straight for the belt when he comes up, and rightfully so. I mean, he's the longest reigning champ uh, in light heavyweight history, one of the best to ever do it. So I understand if he doesn't take it. I think it's a great fight to welcome him to heavyweight because it's not like Stipe's Francis Ngannou. He's not tipping the scales at 265 like these guys, Derek Lewis, Cyril Gaon. So I think it's a good welcome stylistic fight for John. Test the waters. It's not easy by any means, but a really good test against the heavyweight goat. So I think it's a great fight. Will it happen? Gut says no. How does it go if it does happen? I guess you'll just have to wait and see when we preview it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't put me on the spot like that now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I don't think this fight's gonna happen. Unfortunately. Um, I, I would love to see it. No, actually, I wouldn't. I have no interest. Don't get me wrong. I'd be excited for it if it happened, people. But um, you have to understand, as a Steve A fan, yes. Whenever, uh, not too, there you go. Not too often going into a Steve A fight have I said, I don't think he's going to win this one. The first time he fought in Ganu, I thought that, and he won. The second time he fought DC, I thought that, but he won. Here with John Jones, I don't mm. think there's a chance in the hell that Stipe mm. wins that fight. No, they say third time's a charm. <laughs> but, and that's no disrespect to Stipe, man. Yeah. It's just John Jones. It's is John. Just, and, I mean, the guy, we'll see how he looks when he inevitably does fight at heavyweight. But the guy looks fucking he looks fucking shredded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think he's going to be having some sort of Adesanya-like run where you know he doesn't quite acclimate himself to the weight class and just tries to depend purely on his skill set. Now, he and, seems very committed. Yeah, yeah, he's very committed to it. So would love to see it. Don't think it's going to happen. But I love that the UFC is at least offering it. I think that is nice because Stipe was a bit disgruntled. So it's, you know, I like it that – the, DF, the UFC is like, all right, let's try to get Stipe a fight. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure if you are Stipe, if it's not a title, what bigger fight can you take if you're him, John yeah, Jones? So. That's true. I wonder if this means um, – probably not. But, again, I, 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 once again, I thought Stipe wouldn't take a fight that wasn't for the title at this point. But he values, I guess, a John Jones fight probably for his legacy maybe. Yeah. Um, so part of me wants to be like, well, I wonder if this means we're going to be getting a Stipe fight announcement soon. But I just don't think there's anybody else really no. around that would interest him, unless unless, unless a guy like Jan Blahovich wants to come up to heavyweight or just something. Just the waters, yeah. Yeah, um, which has just never been talked about. So, um, yeah, I think this uh, this one's a bit of a pipe dream, but hopefully we see Stipe and John at heavyweight here pretty soon. Yeah, there you go. 
Now on to UFC 265. Here we go. It's really well that we have the preview for you, but there is a lot of fights to talk about here, and it starts with that main event. Yeah. I like that headline. <laughs> I, I think it's an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. As number two-ranked Derek Lewis goes up a number three-ranked Surreal Gone for the interim heavyweight title. We might not have liked how we got to this point. <laughs> right. But I'm going to say that I like the fight as a whole. Itself, yes. And I am excited for it at this point. Dominic, the question going in here and what seems to be the storyline that I keep hearing all week is that Surreal Gon has every technical advantage over Derek Lewis besides the one-punch power. And that ultimately – not a lot of people are giving Derek Lewis a chance outside of his one-punch power. So I want you to preview the fight. How do you evaluate these guys' skill sets? I think people are maybe overlooking Derek Lewis a little bit in terms of calling him just the un, not a technical fighter at all. I think in some ways he kind of almost doubles down on that to make people think that. But the guy got to this point. He, yeah. is, he is fighting for – an interim title in the UFC. He's fought for the legit heavyweight title previously. You can't tell me you got to that point by purely just the power in your hands. Yeah, I mean, this dude at the end of the day, he's 16-5 and five in the UFC. I don't know if people recognize this, but this man has been fighting for years, and he's one of the most active heavyweights there is. He's tied for the most knockouts mm-hmm. in UFC history with 12. He can make it his own record this Saturday. And it's not just these lucky one-punch KOs. I mean, look at the timing just for example, in the Curtis Blades one, he not only was ready to sprawl a takedown, but then timed a perfect uppercut to knock him out cold. It's not like this dude just throws ugly punches and they land. He is technical in a, in a boxing aspect to find the big shots. However, as an all-around mixed martial artist, yes, I do think that Cyril Gaon is the better all-around fighter, and we've just seen more weapons from him is the only reason why in terms of his grappling, his submissions, his kicks. He does things that heavyweights don't do. I will say Derek Lewis, time and time again, does throw that little, like, lifts up the right leg and the switch kick to the left. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Derek Lewis is a big boy. But (laughs) besides that, um, gone as an overall MMA fighter, we've just seen more tools. And it's wild to me because this man didn't even start fighting professionally until 2018, and here he is getting ready to go up against Derek Lewis, one of the best fighters in the heavyweight division, an interim belt on the line, a chance to fight Francis Ngannou next. He's undefeated, 9-0. So it does seem, and the betting odds even sway in his favor largely, which is crazy. I think he's like minus 370 or something. We're not a betting podcast. I'm just saying that's big, big numbers. Um, But it does just feel like everything is swaying into Gon's favor. And it's weird because usually during a Derek Lewis fight week, all the noise and the talk and everything is about Derek. This week, it feels kind of reverse where all the talks about Cyril Gon and how great he is. And, and we know that he is great. We talk about this every time he's brought up on the show. We say that when we see him step into the octagon, we see a future champion, right? So, uh, you know, I just think it's a very interesting fight because – for Derek, you got to think he's going to go in and obviously look for the knockout. Is he going to go in and take down Cyril Gaon and lay there? No, that's not what Derek Lewis does. Is he going to submit him? 
we talked about that on one of the shows uh, last or last few weeks or whatever. I doubt it. He does have one submission victory in his career. It's just gone more paths to victory, I guess, is kind of the way I'm looking at it. But uh, he's got to be able to evade the power because you said this off recording and you're going to go into it when you break this down. We've yet to see him really get tested when he feels that heavyweight power. Yes, he's taken shots, but not a Derek Lewis shot. That is true. That is true. And that is kind of my biggest question going in here. So Real God does have the advantage in most technical aspects that you can evaluate a fight outside of the power and the hands. That's been proven. Surreal Gan, not necessarily a one-punch power guy. All Derek Lewis, yeah. all power, all gas, no break. Yeah. Um, in terms of how this fight goes, because of that, even though Derek Lewis has been finished in his career, I have a hard time seeing Surreal Gan getting that finish. So because of that, if Surreal Gan has the advantage early and kind of does what Surreal Gan does, is very technical, stays on the outside, throws a lot of leg kicks, um, I think this fight will go into the later rounds, into those championship rounds. The issue becomes is that Derek Lewis can carry that power into rounds four and five. He's he's mm-hmm. a very flat-footed guy in general. He's not he doesn't depend on his movement to have that power in his hands. I mean, yeah. so even if he's tired in rounds four and five, the guy's gonna have the power. To me, Surreal God's chin is untested, so he has to essentially be perfect for 25 minutes. Derek Lewis only has to be perfect for one punch. Yeah. That's how I look at this fight. So when you see that, when I say it like that, it kind of flips it on its head. All <laughs> yeah. of a sudden, Derek Lewis is the favorite going in. Yeah. But you guys know how I feel about Surreal Gone. I think he's a future title holder, this fight notwithstanding. I don't count this. Uh, Dominic sent me a tweet that pissed me off so much. I figured it would. Um, it was comparing the amount of days it took John Jones to become champion than Surreal Gone and how Surreal Gone was going to beat that record, right? I think he was like 30 days more than John. Oh, okay. But um, what pissed me off about it is just that John Jones won the legitimate light heavyweight title, yeah. Surreal Gone fighting for the interim title, and not even an interim title that feels right, like deserved. Yeah. However, the winner here will be hopefully fighting – Francis Ngannou next, and because of that, someone's making a statement here, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, tell me, tell me what you think of this, Dominic, because I've started to see whispers. Okay, people whispering after the last couple surreal gone fights, his wins over Rosenstreich and then his win over Volkov. I've started to see, and it's not loud enough yet to the point where you know maybe you haven't even heard this. But I'm starting to get the gist that Surreal Gone might be running into getting that boring label as a fighter. I hate it. Do, do you worry that if he, if he, let's say, puts on a masterclass showing in terms of technical skill and does all the right things to avoid Derek Lewis's power, but the fight's a bit dull because Derek Lewis doesn't really offer anything offensively? Do you think that the fan base? may have some backlash against the real gun. They will, unfortunately. I and I have seen all already some of that, to be honest. I mean, his fight with Rosenstroik was not the best. We get it, right? We thought that was going to just be absolute fireworks. It wasn't. He outstruck him, outpointed him for five rounds. However, I thought he bounced back and looked incredible against Volkov. 
I love that fight. I didn't think that was boring at all. He was way more active, showing way more weapons, and really pieced Volkov apart. It's not his fault the guy wouldn't go down. I mean, he's a six foot seven behemoth. So um, the Rosenstrike fight, out withstanding every other fight this dude has had, has been all. Uh, he's got submission victories. He's got knockout victories. So I, I, it's unfortunate. Yes, he will get that label if this if he were to go out and just outpoint Derek Lewis for five rounds, and I'm sure he even recognizes that. But at the end of the day. This man is fighting to win that interim belt to ultimately get to the main prize, which is Francis Ngannou's undisputed title. And, um, yeah, I've seen whispers of it already. Um, I have. I dislike it because I just love this guy so much, and truthfully, I respect his game. And uh, like I said at the beginning, he does things that heavyweights don't do. So I think it's something that needs to be more so respected uh, than talk bad about. But I get it. You know, everybody – when they watch heavyweight fights, they just think knockout, knockout, knockout all the time. I get it. But uh, this man, he's a different breed. He's he's the next generation type fighter. So it's unfortunate. But, yes, it will, it can happen if it's a dull fight against Derek Lewis Saturday. Yeah, this might be something for Monday if Surreal God wins this. But um, just to, I guess, throw it out there now. This guy's skill set's like nothing we've seen at heavyweight. And yeah. we may never see anything like it for a long time after. So respect greatness. If he if he loses, then hey man, I mean, uh, you know, the maybe there, will, there might again. yeah, there might be more questions about Gon than we thought, but more than likely it's just gonna be Lewis is just a bigger threat than we yeah. want to give him credit for. Yeah. Let's move into our feature bout. Because that to me. I think that's the second biggest fight on this card. Yeah, this should be the co-main event. I, I don't know, but it's all right. <laughs> it's going to see number five ranked Michael Chiesa, number six ranked Vicente Luque in the welterweight division. And the headline speaks for itself. A new welterweight contender emerges. That's the storyline going in here. Two guys who have, I don't want to say quietly, because Michael Chiesa has been around for a long time. He's always been in some pretty high-profile fights, even main invented a couple cards. Mm-hmm. Vicente Luque, while not necessarily put in the most prominent places on cards most of the time, has been in just a massive amount Oh, it's never quiet, of, yeah. <laughs> yes, a mass amount of fight of the nights and uh, performance of the night bonuses. The guy's racking up 50Ks yeah. every time he comes out. So here they've been matched up against one another because now they're at a – kind of a crossroads where are they pretender or contender? And I've said this for Michael Chiesa previously that when he reaches, because he's been around a little longer than Vicente Luque, he's been a player, if you will, for longer, even if it was in a different division. When he gets to that fight where with the win, he's, you know, a a contender. There, yeah. He loses. Yeah. However, I kind of said that his fight with Magny back in January was that fight because both guys were also in that. The same that, position. Yes. Yeah. And then Kiesa won. However, it almost feels like they're in similar, he's in a similar position here against Luque. The winner here might, I mean, look at it like this. Kamaru Usman's manager said that these two guys were more deserving of a title fight than Colby Covington. Yeah. And maybe even said more deserving than Leon Edwards. While Edwards, you're going to have a hard time, I guess, passing up Edwards any longer. Yeah. I do wonder if the winner of this fight might have locked the 
chance at a title fight with Kamaru Usman, a fresh matchup yep. for both of these guys, and especially, in my opinion, for someone like Luke Gay, who, while he has had, I would assume he's had more losses in the UFC than Kiesa, it might have took him a little longer to get here. But a guy that I think offers something stylistically to maybe appeal to the UFC to book that fight, Kiesa might you might have a harder time convincing people that he has much of a chance against Usman. But no matter what, I think these guys are coming in here looking to make a statement. I think this fight might end up being a lot of fun. Yeah, this is interesting because you know what Kies is going to come in and do. Every fight, he's going to look to grapple and grind you out, look for the submission if possible, and if not, he will dominate you for five rounds. Just ask Neil Magny, and you don't see that happen to Neil Magny very often because Neil has a pretty similar fight style in that sense as well with the grappling, and it just looked like it wasn't even close. For Luke, this dude comes out and throws bombs Oh, but then, by the way, he can just take your neck and submit you on the ground, too. This dude is a Swiss army knife, and that's what makes this so intriguing. Part of you wants to say grappler versus striker until you look at Luke's ground game. You're like, oh, wait, this guy finishes like eight fights by submission as well. So it's two guys that have really been in the UFC a while. I mean, Kies is an ultimate fighter champion. Luke has grinded his way through this division, never turns down fights. I mean, he fights anyone. So it's mm-hmm. great to see them both in this top five position, five versus number six. Um, again, I think it should be the co-main either way. It's a fight that a lot of people are looking forward to, and rightfully so. I agree with you. I think a win here, especially if it comes in a very convincing way, could very well propel them to a title shot, man. And as bad as I hate would hate that for Leon Edwards, it, if anything, it will launch them into a fight with Leon, like at the minimum. So um, this has a lot of big implications Really, the biggest implications of the whole card are with this one. I'll obviously, main event withstanding. So I think this is going to be fun. Uh, I, it sucks it's only three rounds because both these guys can go for five. Um, and, yeah, I'm just curious, can Kiesa implement the game plan that we know he's going to try and do with the grappling, or will Luke just be too much, have the answers, and if he gets taken down, pose a threat from the bottom that Kiesa hasn't seen before? There's a lot of question marks in this fight. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great way of kind of summing it up right there. Let's get into the rest of this card. We got four more fights to go over. Yeah, um, three of these on that main card. One that headlines the prelims. I mean, really from from main event down to that prelim headliner. I mean, this pretty is, good. Yeah. It's a really good run of fights there. I do think it weakens out afterwards. There are some names. You know, you got guys like Alonzo Menafield who I who I've enjoyed watching. Um, you have Jessica Pinay and Carolina Kovalkiewicz, yeah. but neither of them are really doing a whole lot anymore. Manel um, Cape, Ode Osborne. Manel Cape is still, I've, I've said, a guy who hasn't won a fight. He's a player. In the UFC, but I still think this might be the fight for him to hopefully showcase his skills. Regardless, we start with the co-main event. Yep. In the Bantamweight division, Jose Aldo, who's still ranked fifth despite a 1-2 <laughs> yeah. record in the division, going up against number nine, Pedro Munoz, who obviously – has much more fights in the division. The story for me here, Dom. Okay. Let's hear it. Jose Aldo has looked good at Bantamweight. Mm-hmm. You can argue he probably won the fight with Marlon Marais as his debut. Mm-hmm. Judges gave it to Marais. Followed that with the title fight against Jan where he looked good. And honestly, I think there's a debate to be had 
while he may not have even taken a single round in that fight, yeah, he might have overall put on a better performance than Aljamain Sterling did against Young. I think there's an argument to be made there, just okay. a lot more so he did it longer. I yes. Um, but he lost. Yes. Bounces back with a win over Marlon Barra, who was good. We like Marlon Barra. But a guy who was ranked 15th going in, and now he's here with Pedro Munoz, who Pedro Munoz is very consistent. He's consistently good. And yeah. sometimes that's good enough to win for him, and sometimes his opponents are just better. That's really what it's kind of came down to. I mean, I I thought he beat Frankie Edgar, uh, one of the first cards we, we ever went over. I think it's the first fight night we, yeah, it was. we previewed on this podcast. Um, we both thought Munoz won that fight. Edgar ultimately gets the nod. Yeah. But regardless, the ninth ranking I don't think does Munoz justice, but that's what he's got. It's card he's been dealt. That's fine. My story here, Dominic, and what I want to get your gauge on, I think there's more to lose here for Aldo. Maybe that's that's obvious to people, but I'm not sure. And here's why. This fight, let's say it happens in co-main event, and let's say these guys put on a show. Let's say fight of the year contender, but Munoz gets the win. How as Aldo, can you continue to try to make a run here or really feel like a legitimate contender when you're one and three at that point in the division? Yeah. And so in my opinion, and I want to see, again, what you think about this, with a loss here for Aldo, can you, no matter how good he looks, can you consider his run at Bantamweight anything other than a failure at that point? Oof. Oh. I do think there is more to lose if you're Aldo, just because of the, the legacy in general of him. So to see him come down a weight class and falter to one and three would be quite a hit. Whereas if you're Pedro, oh, you're fighting Aldo, one of the biggest fights of your life. If you lose, he's just going to keep fighting killers anyway. That's just the way Munoz is. So, yeah, I think there is more to lose for Aldo. Um, being one and three, that is – I mean, I guess you would look at it as a failure, quote-unquote. I mean, again, we think he did beat Marlon Marais, but at the end of the day, a loss is a loss. Loses a title fight that was unearned. I Yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way as a failure. And it was something that was very random to begin with, right? We had never really expected Jose to come down to 135. It was so weird when it happened. Tom, to be fair, he does look good, like you said, and he has a win over Marlon Vera. Uh, looked good against Marais, looked good against Jan for the time being until the finish, so... He's had moments, but nothing that gives huge takeaways. So if he can come out here and really put a stamp on it against a guy like Pedro, who's very tough, hard to put away, that would be quite a big deal if you're Jose Aldo. And it would keep him in title talks because at the end of the day, he's Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, on the other end of the spectrum for Munoz, this would be the biggest win of his life. Obviously, he had a huge win against Cody Garbrandt. We both, or I thought he beat Frankie Edgar. I don't remember what you did, but it was a great fight. Um, and then obviously he looked good in his last outing as well against Jimmy Rivera. That was an incredible fight in itself. So this is big for Munoz to really catapult himself into that top five once more and put himself really maybe one away uh, from being able to challenge for a title. Someone who hasn't before, it would be a fresh face in this stack division. So uh, I'm excited. I do think this has fireworks written all over it. I'm predicting this uh, as the main card fight of the night we'll see if it comes to fruition but i think 
when both guys have so much to prove and guys that aren't going to stray away from getting into a banger of a fight in general, put them together. I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Truthfully, you're probably right on like what, which fight on the main card has the best chance to take that fight of the night. This one probably would be it, but I, I don't know if I agree with the title implications here for either guy. Um, I just think that this division's too stacked at the top. And unfortunately there's not a ton of direction right now. We do have, Jan and Sterling booked, but then, I mean, Sanhagen and Dillashaw are both, I mean, Dillashaw obviously probably secured his shot, but Sanhagen, I mean, you can argue is still just right there. So I really think that um, because that's why I didn't put this as one of the like uh, main topics is just because I don't feel like the, there is that much implication in terms of title fights, but for Aldo, it would be, I guess, a way to keep his name, keep his head above water, if you will. And for Munoz, it would propel him into some territory that he hasn't seen since probably his knockout of Cody Garbrandt and um, give him another chance to maybe set up a fight with someone like Corey Sandhagen. Yeah, I mean, I think, truthfully, the winner, not they're not going into a title fight. They're one away. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, Following that on the main card, we're going to go all the way down to strawweight. A rematch, number 10, Tisha Torres, and number 12, Angela Hill. I don't have a ton of takeaways coming into this one. Um, it's a fight that two women that are very exciting fighters. Angela Hill has been on the just – she's had a really nice run over the last couple of years, been very active. However, she just can't seem to get the nod. On yeah. Very close fights. You know, she's really came a long way. Her record in the UFC does not, I guess, define her, in my opinion. Yeah. But she does have to start getting some wins. And here against Tisha Torres, it's a girl that's more powerful who I think could give Angela Hill a lot of trouble on the feet. Um, I'll just be interested to see, I guess, where this fight goes, really. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Where will the fight take place? Uh, Tisha got the upper advantage, won their first fight a few years back. So, Curious because it feels like Angela has done more since that first fight, but at the same time, Tisha's now on a two-fight win streak and has looked good or looked better than she has previous because she was on a little bit of a skid. So it is an interesting seismic fight. Two women that are kind of just good in multiple areas but not great anywhere, well-rounded. Angela Hill's super long. Tisha's super short and stocky. How will that play on the feet and, of course, in the grappling where they're both really good as well? It should be uh, – bit of an interesting stylistic clash. You're right about since that first fight, it does feel like Angela Hill's done more. However, again, she hasn't been on the right. Yeah, Tisha's the one on decisions. the win streak. So. Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of complicated in that yeah, way. So yeah. Hopefully we'll get some direction for both women moving till Monday. Maybe we can talk more about yeah. the, what happens next. A couple Bantamweight contenders open up our this main card. Song Yadong, the 23-year-old phenom, and Casey Kenny, who had a great showing in his last fight against Dominic Cruz, but came out on the uh, wrong end of a decision there. Song Yadong is in an interesting spot because, again, he's 23 years old. Everybody knows the potential that this guy's had, but he's had it now for upwards of a, a year and a half, two years. I mean, we've been talking about this guy since he was 21, you know, since yeah. maybe even before he could drink. And uh, 
So now he's 23, so he's still so young, still got so much potential. But he finds himself in a little adversity here because mm. he is coming off a loss in a very close fight with Kyler Phillips, who's very good. But after that, he lost his ranking. You also consider before that fight, he won a very iffy decision against Marlon Vera, a fight yeah. that I think most people would agree he did not look like a winner in. So while, sure, a win is a win, we're now running into this uh, territory here where maybe for Song Yudong, He's just not ready to fight those, you know, top 10 level contenders. Yeah. Lucky for him, he's not fighting a top 10 contender. He's fighting Casey Kinney. True. But Casey Kinney showed in that Dominic Cruz fight that he is not that far behind from being a top level Bantamweight in this division. Yeah. And I just wonder, I'm really, I really can't wait for this one. I'm really curious to see who's going to come out on top and what strategy they're going to implement. Because both guys seem very content to let the fight go wherever they want it to go. I think the one clear advantage in my mind is that Song Yudong probably will have a power advantage here. Yeah. So if this fight does turn into a slugfest, um, it'll be interesting to see if Casey Kenny, who probably has the technical um, ability over Yudong, could he really just stick and move a lot better? Or would Song Yudong really land those big power shots and uh, put him away? Yeah, I mean, two of the biggest prospects in this absolutely stacked Bantamweight division. Uh, Song Yudong will carry the power advantage. Case Kinney, the you know smaller, quicker guy. And you got to think with Case Kinney, also a former big LFA standout, former champion there, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Coming off of the, the biggest fight of his life against Dominic Cruz, you got to think the takeaways he has are quite large and what he can bring from that into a fight with Song Yudong, someone who fights much differently from a guy like Dominic Cruz. So I think this is going to be nonstop for as long as the fight goes. A very close. Uh, second place in my fight of the night running. I think this is going to be really good. I think there's going to be big takeaways for the winner as they look to propel themselves back into the top 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah, using one another to try to get over the hump, if you will. Um, Headlining our prelims, Uh Bobby King Green and Rafael Fizayev. The storyline here has got to be that Fizayev has looked like an elite talent in killer. This, again stacked lightweight division but he's really just looking to keep building up his resume to in order to get into those top of the ranks or even get a ranking in general bobby green's had a nice run we enjoyed his run in 2020 yeah. you know the, he, for a while he was the king of the apex he did have a loss against tiago moises very close fight yeah but that shows i think how close bobby green is to that that ranking where mm-hmm. he lost to Moises and then Moises kind of ended up with Mockingjay. Oh, yeah. So, unfortunately for Bobby, I just think that this is a very tough fight for him. Yeah, it's a very tough fight, but he does have that veteran quality at this point. Fazayev is a younger fighter. He does have the very technical striking that should perhaps be enough to get him a victory, but. We've seen a lot of times it doesn't matter when you have a guy who's just a much smarter fighter who fights a much smarter game plan, which could be the case with Bobby Green here, doesn't always turn out that way. Yeah, I just think both these guys are good strikers. Bobby's very, a very good technical boxer. He's shown that during that win streak he had and even against Moises uh, here and there. But where Bobby Green is strong at, 
Fazayev, I just feel, is even more strong, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he carries the power along with his precision and technical striking as well. I mean, he absolutely slept. I think it was Hanato Moicano yep. in his last fight. Yep. So, uh, I mean, it was brutal. So, this is a tough fight for Bobby Green. However, he's a veteran of the game. He's been there and done that with a lot of big guys. Fazayev still tampering with the waters, if you will, into this division. So this is a big fight for him, and if he can pass this test, especially convincingly, this kid is looking like a future title contender in the years to come. Mm-hmm. That's going to wrap it up here for our MMA weekend preview. Give us your thoughts on these fights. Let us know what you think after watching them on Saturday, and we'll we'll showcase your thoughts on Monday's episode. And speaking of which, that's the next time you're going to see us. It's going to be Monday with the weekend recap. We'll go over everything we just talked about here, but obviously the fights are going to take place. So we'll have something to talk about there. Uh, Many fight announcements or news that happens between now and then we'll also showcase on there as well. It will be a two episode week. So following that, it'll be a Friday episode, but until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesely14. More importantly, follow, engage, interact with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore. Never, ever forget the underscore MMA podcast. Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. There is a link to the link tree on there. Follow those links and see where they find you. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, again, don't forget the underscore, at NTBaker underscore on Twitter, on Instagram. Shout out to Anchor, today's sponsor. Look at those links for voice messaging or if you would just like to leave a little donation there for the podcast. So we very much appreciate it. But that's it. We're out, and we're going to see you all on Monday. Peace.